Well, good morning, folks. My name is John Wayne. I work with the Wilderness Ministry here at Bethany. It's a privilege to be with you. I want to start by sharing a little bit about why I'm here. Uh, long story short, I'm here because I really, really love snow. Uh, I'll talk more about that later, but my wife, Leanna, and I, we moved out here three and a half years ago. Uh, three and a half years ago was an interesting time to move. We moved in the fall of 2019, right before everything went down. And um, yeah, I mean, my wife is a nurse. She was a nurse at UW on a COVID floor, stint on night shift, you know, new community, new career, intense isolation. Uh, It was a time of very real pressure for us. As we look at this text today, John wrote this letter to a network of churches that were experiencing intense pressure. These were persecuted communities of people experiencing perhaps the most intense form of pressure. And while the pressure we encounter may not be outward persecution for our faith in Jesus Christ, there are pressures in all of our lives. There are those of us in the room who have lost careers, who have been laid off or are waiting on a potential layoff. There are people who are suffering the pressure that comes from broken relationships, the agonizing pressure of isolation and holding up a facade that we have it all together when in fact we've never felt more stuck, the pressure of intense loneliness. And in the middle of pressure, our first reaction is usually to do whatever possible to relieve that pressure, choose the unhealthy relationship rather than work through the loss of one, self-medicate to avoid the healing process, abstain from real vulnerability, choose individualization over the rhythms of receiving and giving in community. Just like the, the Israelites of, of old, we erect these idols, these false hopes. We do whatever we can to relieve the pressure rather than stay the course. We miss out on who we're meant to be when we run to the immediate release, and the pressure doesn't actually dissipate. Today, as we sit with the fourth chapter of this book, we will see that God has called us to three ways of being, being reminded, being rooted, and being the love of Christ to one another. It's these ways of being that will enable us both to withstand pressure and be all that we're meant to be in Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I thank you so much uh, for this text, for this opportunity to gather, to sit with it, to sit with your love. God, I pray that each one of us would encounter your love, perhaps in a new way, perhaps in a familiar way that's grown dull. Would you remind us, would you root us here, God? We love you. It's through your son we pray. Amen. So this letter from John was written to a group of Jewish Christians. These weren't Gentile communities like most of Paul's ministry. These Christians were suffering from real persecution in their communities. Because of their faith and declaration of Jesus as Messiah, they lost all status. Shops closed up, removal of any sense of belonging, a sort of persecution we can only imagine. And in the midst of this pressure, people sought release, and it was available. Verses 1 through 6 talk about the temptation to turn to things that are anti-Christ, ways of being that are antithetical to Christ. In this context, the temptation was to isolate, individualize, remove oneself from Christian community. Another temptation was to water down the gospel with Gnosticism, where Jesus came to enlighten folks rather than 
rescue, redeem, and transform. This chapter from 1 John is one of those moments where the pressure is so intense and the release valve so alluring that John is pulling his community aside and saying, remember, remember the core things. Remember the ways of being that make you a people set apart, that make you a people of great hope. There's a, an old country song called Lukenbach, Texas. It talks about getting back to the basics of love. I'm going to name the sermon that today, Lukenbach, Texas. You can listen to it on the way home. But that's what John is doing here. We're getting back to the basics. We're remembering our core ways of being. Leaning into the, first, into the book of 1 John can be a difficult task for most of us. Most of us haven't ever experienced persecution, and probably we won't. But that's not to say there are people in, in this community who haven't. Like Nathan alluded to earlier, just across the street, the guest house ministry, our volunteers who host that space get a glimpse into this sort of persecution. We had a guesting with us named Ahmed uh, who had to flee his home in Russia because of persecution. Lost his community, lost his job, his sense of belonging, his home. While most of us aren't going through what Ahmed went through, it doesn't mean that we aren't immune from pressure or from the many perceived release valves. For the early Christians, like I said, it was Gnosticism, watering the gospel down. I think for us, one of the release valves is uh, spiritualization rather than taking up the cross and following Christ. For the early Christians, uh, the temptation to go at it solo we have the same release valve of individualization rather than heeding Paul's words that we're meant to be a body made up of many members. I imagine for the early Christians that temptation when persecution came to hoard resources. And for us, that's that's just our daily existence, that release valve to secure status through wealth rather than heed the call to care for the needy, to care for the widow and orphan. There are many pressures and there are many release valves. So how do we avoid succumbing to these pressures? How do we avoid immediately hitting the release button through self-medication, through withdrawal? Well, first we need to be a reminded people. The first way of being that John delivers to us is that we need to be reminded. Now, these are ways of being because we're not meant to be reminded once. A Sunday morning reminder is not sufficient to equip us to withstand the pressure. We need to be reminded of the life-changing love that God has for us, and we need to be reminded often. So like I said, uh, I really love snow, and that's really why my wife and I moved out here. We wanted to ski more and climb more. I'm from Dallas, Texas, so we all have this fascination with this thing we never get to see. Um, And I really have, I've loved snow before I got to spend time in snow. I think part of that is because snow for me is just such a good picture of the love that God has for us. I'm going to put some pictures up on the screen here, and I want you to just consider with me the characteristics of snow. Think about snow. It transforms a landscape, right? It refreshes the land. It makes things white as snow. You get it. I am routinely reminded when I am out in the snow of God's love for me, or when I'm in the city and the mountain is out, or the snow-capped Olympics come into view. It's an image it's a reminder. We had some 
adult Sunday school classes last year, and Dr. Ben McFarland posed a similar question asking, what is a place where you found something surprising and super super abundant in nature? A place where you are reminded of God's love for you. The answers are lovely. This is from y'all. Periwinkles, thousand varieties of patterns. The middle fork in the Snoqualmie River. Fungus superstructures. Mount Rainier, light against rock. The feeling of light in the afternoon. We got some of that this week. Thank you, God. How are you being reminded of God's love for you? We don't need to all go climb Mount Rainier, but we all need to be reminded. This is verse 16. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. We have known, we have experienced, we have seen the love that God has for us. This is the spiritual discipline of awareness, of receiving revelation through God's first book of creation. These moments of being reminded might lead you to write psalms of gratitude in response. For me, I was out in the Snoqualmie region on Thursday and out in these snow-capped peaks, and it was just a moment of thank you, a moment of gratitude. You see, God And his great love for us gives us these handles, these handholds, these things we can put our weight on. And he's always done this for his people. This is all throughout scripture. The story of Noah, the reminder of the rainbow, the reminder of God's covenantal love towards his people. The Israelites in the wilderness with manna, a reminder of God's provision to his people. This book, this Bible, the best reminder of God's love for us. When the pressure increases, we need something to draw from. We need moments to remember, physical moments, scripture to call upon, things that we can point to in the midst of pressure and say, I experienced the love of God in that moment. If we integrate this as a way of being, all I can imagine is a lifetime of intimacy with God, a lifetime of these little moments. What reminds you of God's love for you? What scriptures are reminders to you? Write it down. And as you ask that question, God, what does a reminder of your love to me look like? That list is only going to expand. Second way of being that is revealed in 1 John 4 is that of being rooted. Being a community of rooted People, We can withstand pressure and be who God meant for us to be if we are rooted. And we're called to find our rootedness in the great love of God that is most visible in the cross of Jesus Christ. John makes it so clear for us. A people being pressured from pain, from addiction, from broken relationships, financial insecurity, people who are stuck, people who are maybe too comfortable. God lays it out clear as day, step by step. This is how I have shown that I love you. This is verse nine and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4 tells us that this is where we're supposed to find our roots. See, we're able to be reminded of God's love constantly. If we open our eyes, if we practice a little bit of awareness, we'll notice God's love in creation, in the text, and one another. 
but to be a rooted people, to be a people that remain in this awareness, we have to sit at the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. Once again, this is written to a community under intense pressure. And John is saying, remember your source. If you want to stay the course, if you want to keep the faith, if you want to run this race with endurance, we must root ourselves at the cross. I was on a call recently with Richard and a pastor from Kentucky who appropriately said that the past few years uh, made us realize how fragile the church is, how shallow our roots are. Called to unity, called to this great sacrificial love for one another, and we broke over masks. A third of the evangelical church has not returned. What does that tell us? We are not as rooted as we thought. I don't know how long in your faith journey you've been sitting in a pew like this hearing about the love of God, but I imagine for some of us, this love has started to feel more like a concept rather than a revelation, an idea more than a reality, a bullet point on the doctrinal statement of our lives rather than the source of all calling and purpose. See, in the evangelical church, we know the cross up here in the mind, but to be rooted To have the cross sink so deeply into our hearts that it becomes our source. I alluded to the adult Sunday school class and how our community clearly has the spiritual discipline of noticing God and creation. We're solid at that. There was another question about specifically how we notice Jesus in the natural world. This was a little more difficult for us. There weren't that many answers. What we're getting at is how are we to be rooted in the cross of Christ? Well, to be rooted, we need to follow our reminders to their end point. All reminders of God's love find their conclusion at the cross. Our surrounding culture can notice beauty the same as us, but for us, this community, it is crucial that we develop the discipline of following the through line of our reminders to their ultimate destination. And not just with creation, not with our reminders in creation, but our reminders in scripture. We need to develop this discipline. Numbers 21, when the Israelites were loathing the provision of God and serpents were set into the camp, God told Moses, lift up the bronze serpent and all who look to it will be healed. In the same way, Jesus Christ lifted up on the cross and all who look to him are healed. Genesis 3, uh, 3.15, in the garden, God said, evil will have its day. Evil will strike his heel, but he will crush its head. And evil had its day. It put Jesus on the cross. It struck his heel. And in doing so, through his death, burial, and resurrection, defeated evil on our behalf. John 12, this is from Jesus. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified, lifted up. Unless a grain of wheat falls onto the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. In the same way, Jesus' death on the cross produced much new life for us, all alluding to the cross. Friends, the 
physical body of Jesus Christ had to die for us to ever have the hope of glory, to ever have the hope of redemption and renewal, the hope that the pressures we face are not the final word. We need to be rooted. And please hear me when, I'm say, when I say I'm not talking about just rooted individuals. I'm talking about a rooted collective, a rooted community. I think the best image for this kind of rootedness comes from aspen trees. We have some of these here in Washington. They're called quaking aspens. What's unique about aspen trees is that above the ground, they're individual trees. But below the ground, they share one common root source means that at the same time, they are an individual and a community. There's our picture for what it looks like for our community to be rooted in the cross of Christ, to be rooted in the same source. This is Ephesians. My prayer that you being rooted and grounded in love would be able to comprehend the height, the width, the depth of the love of Christ. As we dig our roots deeper by sitting with our reminders until they end up at the cross. By finding the through line in scripture. I want us to picture ourselves as trees with our roots going into the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. This is communion. We declare that the source for our lives, the source for our unity, the source for our hope is the innocent and sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on our behalf and his subsequent burial and resurrection. Amen? We can't spend enough time at the cross. That's why John keeps bringing it up three times in this chapter, verses 9, 10, and 14. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son as the savior of the world. All reminders, all the reminders of God's love that we see in creation, in the text, in one another, this is where they end up. Their progression leads to the cross. I don't know if you've ever heard aspen trees blowing in the wind. It doesn't sound like normal wind through trees. It's, they've got those small little leaves and it's like a beautiful whisper almost. In the same way, all the reminders that we have of the love of God are these faint whispers talking about the love of the cross for you and for me. As we move to our third point, being the love of Christ, we talked about how one of the pressures on the people of, the first, of first John was the temptation to disband as a Christian community. And we're in this sermon series, Love God and Love Others. And God says, because I have loved you so much, love one another. Verses seven and 11. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's just a really interesting observation about the way the love of God works because it's not the way that my love works. I don't say, Megan, I love you, therefore love Zach. I want it in return, right? But God is not limited in his love towards his children in this way. 
See, John is addressing the danger of individual spirituality. We're talking about pressure, pressure that is sure to come. And I think one of the most unaddressed ways of how we open the release valve on pressure rather than letting God form us through the pressure is by escaping into individualism, content with just consuming spiritual content. We hear something we don't agree with, I can leave. I can find the sermons and the teachers that align with me better. We talk about giving as an act of discipleship. I can, I can retreat. Let me be clear, I'm not talking about people who have used the name of Jesus in the context of the church to do evil. By no means does Christ call you to remain in that. Individualization is a very promising release valve, but it is not congruent with the cross of Christ. How can you tell if you're being more and more rooted in the love of God? Are you seeing your capacity for love towards others grow? How's your love? How's your love for your congregation, for your neighbors, for your family? Are you seeing your capacity grow? If John just told his people that the way to withstand pressure, to stay the course, is to just focus on individual growth, they could break up the community, go their own way. But that isn't what Christ has called us to. Let's dispel the bad theology that says growth in our journey with Christ is more and more time with just you and God, more and more resources for just your spirituality. If the point of the Christian life was just our individual growth, John would have written individual letters to individual people, but he wrote it to communities. If the point of the Christian life was just individual growth, I would bring our wilderness volunteers in, tell them we're reducing the trip capacity to one. We're going to send them out to Gold Creek Pond with a Bible and journal and call it a day. No. I might love snow-covered peaks, but I'm not called to stay there. We are called to retreat, to be with God. We are called to develop intimacy with Christ so that we can grow our capacity to love one another. Me being reminded of the love of God through snow leads me to getting outside with Zach, leads me to spending time with Susie. Maturity and faith will be measured by our love for one another. The the inverse of this is stated again in verses 20 and 21. If you say you love God and hate your brother, you are a liar. Uh, My wife and I decided to stay here over Christmas. We wanted to create some new family traditions. We wanted to ski on Christmas Day, you know, all that fun stuff. Um, And if you remember, the weather at Christmas time was very odd. We had the ice spell, all the cars slipping down Queen Anne and whatnot. Um, And Alaska Airlines put out a pet embargo. So no pets could fly. So our friends Dave and Heather were scrambling and Leanna said, "We'll, we'll take your dog in. We take in this dog. His name is Artie, which I think is a hilarious name for a dog, Artie this little healer mix. And this dog is like a sick Victorian era child, like always sick. He like threw up on me twice in the first hour. This wonderful little little bark. Um, And this is around this time is when I started picking up this passage, when I started studying this passage. So I want you to picture me like having my dutiful quiet time, trying to get into the text. And I've got this dog actively vomiting on me, right? But that pattern 
just shows up so clear. God says, because I have loved you, love one another. Oh, my buddy Dan, who's a firefighter in Tacoma, put it really simply, this life is about serving others. When the church is at its best, it's doing this work. How can we, as a community, be the love of Christ towards one another? Well, love hinges on participation. Love is not an abstract. Love is embodied. In the same way Jesus put on flesh to show the greatest love through the, co- through the cross, we are called to put flesh on our love. I think of the phrase skin in the game, right? Maybe it starts by lingering in the foyer, by trying connection again. Maybe it's linking arms and serving in some capacity. Uh, maybe it's my friends Dakota and Sarah who hosted a dinner just to talk about faith. What is it for you? How will you put flesh on your love towards this community? The world will know us by our love. I'm gonna call us back to our second point here because the reality is we are hopeless in this endeavor if we're not rooted. In order to love one another in our city, we need a greater source than ourselves, than our own willpower. John says here, struggling to love one another, tempted to withdraw, content with sitting on the edges of community, reflect, remember, be reminded of God's great love for you. If we stick with this image of snow as we wrap up, I would love for us to consider the snowpack of the Cascades. It's one of our largest watersheds. Uh, We actually have a very shallow water table here in Western Washington, which means if it didn't snow, if it only rained, this would look a lot different. But thankfully, we have the Cascade snowpack. Um, It's also very dry here in the summer. From June 5th to September 5th in 2021, we got half an inch of rain. The beautiful thing about our Cascade snowpack is that the transition from snow to water to the rivers to the lowlands is almost on a timer. It's this slow melt. And the beauty of that slow melt is that it sticks around through summer, through the driest months when the pressure on the lowlands is the greatest. As we become a people that are routinely reminded of God's love, our snowpack begins to build. As we become a people that are rooted in the cross of Christ, our snowpack begins to bond. It won't melt away easily. As we become a people that are being the love of Christ towards one another, our snowpack expands, covers more territory. This community is meant to be a conduit of blessing the world in the way of God the exact same way that a snowpack is meant to relieve the pressure in the dry seasons. Do you see it? As we become a reminded people, a rooted people, a people that loves each other like Christ, not only will we be able to withstand pressure, but it will be our very lives that God will use to heal our communities. In doing so, we will bring refreshment to those who are parched, life where there was death, abundance where there was drought. Would you pray with me? God, we are so 
grateful to spend a morning reflecting on your great, abundant, supernatural love for us. Would you, would you root this community even deeper in that love? God, would you use our lives to bring refreshment, to bring healing, to relieve pressure in our communities, in our homes? We are so grateful for your presence with us. We love you. It's through your son. Amen.